Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am Greg. You all are the listeners and friends. Yeah, that's right. How are y'all doing today? I'm doing well. Um, it is one week to Thanksgiving. Um, if you've ever worked retail, it's a week and a half to Armageddon, <laughs> aka Black Friday. Or if you're a small business owner, it can sometimes be called Green Friday because you're making that green, you're making that paper, making that fat cash. Although it's weird at a place like mine for Black Friday because oftentimes you're competing with everyone on that day. Everyone's doing Black Friday stuff, right? So people are going to Walmart, people are going to Target, people are spending tons of money that day at other places. So it's actually not even our busiest day of the year. Our anniversary sale in April is actually always our busiest, biggest sale of the year. We just we just slam for that sale. And uh, and so Black Friday is uh, connected to Small Business Saturday. So it's something that I think um, American Express came up with because they've always been very known to be not small business friendly since their fees were higher for their credit card processing. So they came up with a marketing campaign called Small Business Saturday where they help small businesses like mine, and they put the word out. They basically created a mini holiday, and it's the day after Black Friday. So we do a two-day sale, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, so it all kind of links together as a two-day sale, and it's good. It's it's a very good day. It's busy. It's steady. It's exhausting, but it's a good day, and obviously you want to put some money in the bank, and that's always good, always good. Um, but it is that time of year, and it's hard to believe because it's such a late – I don't know where November went, to be quite frank. Uh, it, it is already the 19th. When I think about getting ready for Black Friday, Black Friday is the like you know, it's the last Friday of the month. It puts us at the 29th, which means that Christmas is less than four weeks after Thanksgiving this year. It's about the shortest it can be. That's crazy. So it's something that uh, – you know, don't get tricked and think, oh, it's Thanksgiving. I've got like uh, six weeks to Christmas. Like you have very little time. There's going to be some amazing deals out there. Um, obviously, my store is doing a bunch of deals, but there's going to be some amazing deals out there. So check them out. And a lot of the deals you'll be able to get online on like Tuesday or Wednesday uh, before Thanksgiving. So so hit them up. If, if you want that stuff, find the places. And, and be careful because sometimes one place will have a game for $35 on sale. Another place will have it for 30 So you just got to be, you know, so, so look around, do some homework. Check it out. So, uh, with that being said, though, uh, you know it, the holiday season is upon us. Um, there's snow on the ground here, even though it was a little warm and it was melty yesterday. Um, there's snow on the ground. Walmart is already in full Christmas mode. Uh, they have their Christmas music playing, trees, all that fun stuff, and uh, and it's here. And and it's fine. I, I you know I know not everyone who listens to this lives where I live, but if you live in Wisconsin, dreading snow should be something that you're like, well, it's it's expected. I don't really dread it. Last year, we had the ridiculous cold, like the, the cold. It was cold. It was sub-zero more, I think, than any other days we've ever had before. And it just felt like there was a stretch of like a month where it was sub-zero. It was crazy. Uh, but, you know, again, it's Wisconsin. So to an extent, you have to kind of deal with it. You know, you can go out live in California. There's wildfires. Florida has hurricanes, you know it's nowhere's perfect, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but cold does suck. I won't lie. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so we're here, we're here. Uh, so today I've got my uh, game of the week picked out. 
I have my pickup pile of the week, which is pretty small. It's pretty sad for a Greg pickup pile of the week. I mean, ugh, pretty pathetic. And then we're going to talk about three things today. Uh, we're gonna well, I'm gonna talk about a few little things and a few big things. A few little things we're gonna talk about. I, I beat Death Stranding Sunday night, so we're gonna talk about how I feel about the game now that I finished it. Uh, I still will do no spoilers, so that's a spoiler-free Death Stranding conversation. So feel free to stick around, even if you're planning on playing it. I'm gonna talk about The Mandalorian. So this is the new Star Wars TV show that's on Disney Plus. I want to talk a little about that. Again, no spoilers. A spoiler-free. Uh, it'll be a quick jaunt into uh, how I feel about the show. And then we're going to talk about Google Stadia uh, that launched technically to launch today or yesterday. Uh, and it's got some problems, which we kind of anticipated. So we'll look into that. We're going to talk a little about that. Uh, and then we're going to talk about a story about Bioware doubling down on Anthem and, and planning a complete overhaul rework of Anthem. And then we're going to briefly touch upon Microsoft did their XO19 event where it's basically like, you know, the PlayStation experience, it's their, it's their trade show, you know, it's Microsoft does their own advertising get together and pretty lackluster, I must say, really kind of disappointed. I didn't feel like there was a lot of huge news that came out of it. Um, but again, maybe they weren't trying to, and they didn't really talk anything about Scarlet, which is the info that we're all kind of waiting for. Uh, but they did talk about xCloud and a few of the other games that are coming out. So, uh, so we're gonna talk a little about that. And, uh, and yeah, and that'll be the podcast. That's just another week. Uh, next week, I believe I'm still going to do one, but I may not the week of Thanksgiving. If I do it next week, I may not do it the week after. It all kind of depends. You know, sometimes after a really busy work stretch like that, um, you want to, uh, like, I just have to, like, unplug for a little bit. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. And, and who knows? I might feel fine. Uh, it's not a big deal. But it's and it's not just the podcast. This actually is kind of the easy part. It's the editing and cutting up the YouTube stuff and then dealing with the uploads and promotion and all that sort of stuff. So, um, again, I'm I'm not saying like, hey, woe is me. <laughs> you know, don't shed any tears for Greg, the poor podcaster. I don't mean it like that. I just, you know, I just like to give you a heads up if there's a potential that I might miss an episode. And I don't like to. I, I like to keep it very consistent. I live my life that way very consistently. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a man, a creature of habit, as they say. So uh, let's get into it. First, we're going to talk about Google Stadia. So uh, I'm going to get the article ready and here we go. So like I mentioned earlier, today on the podcast, firstly, we're going to be talking about Google Stadia. And if, if if you've been following me in the past or if you've watched my videos, you know that I'm not particularly a big fan of this service. Now, it's not just because I own a used video game store and my whole livelihood depends on physical games. But I think there's real problems with this service at this point in time. Uh, so... I'm a, I'm a tech guy. I always have been. So I love new tech. I, I love cool stuff. Even if it goes against my, my better interest, which would be to see all forms of digital fail. I don't want that. I recognize the convenience in downloading games digitally, having the library backed up where I can download the games anytime with very few exceptions. And the idea of being able to stream games that you never have to physically download anymore. You just have to have any device that can accept that internet connection well is appealing to me. I won't lie. I mean, I think that's really cool. And I think there's a future for that. It could be the entire future. You know, it's, it could be, it might be, it just isn't right now, I don't think. And so with, with the, with the launch of, of Google Stadia, um, the, the headline here on the verge was Google Stadia reviewed the best of cloud gaming is still just a beta. 
And I think, and, and then sub subline, a beta worth waiting longer for. And I think that's probably the most fair way to say it, right? It is a beta test. This Founders Edition, I mean, it's one of those things that we have to understand now as consumers, any sort of early access Founders that we are beta testing. You are you are getting it before it's at its best, which makes total sense. I, I mean, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we have to understand when they hide it under the name of something like Founders Pack or some of that, really what you're doing is you're an early adopter. You are a pioneer and you're the one paving the way for the mass market. And so as long as you know that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's, you know, you're not, yeah, I wish they'd be more honest about it and just say that and not act like, oh, you're a founder, which means you're like, you know, because they, they know that we take that as a special thing. Like, we're the first ones to play this. We found it. We helped Stadia be better. So let's talk a little bit about it here. So uh, this article is by Sean Hollister, November 18th. This was yesterday. If you're expecting it to look or work as well as a high-end gaming PC or even a high-end game console, or if you're hoping for a killer app, you may come away disappointed. But the overarching reaction I had while playing Stadia was the same I have with half-decent headphones. I'd happily keep playing if I wasn't already spoiled. That's a fair way of saying it, right? Not that it's unplayable or that it's unusable. It's just that there's a better experience elsewhere. And here's the thing you really have to remember about all this. This could be quite viable for someone. There is a gaming subset out there that prefers this. I mean, and I know it's Twitter and I know it's anecdotal based on my feed. But there was there were people in the comments, even Jason Schreier's comments when he was talking about this stuff where he does not like it at all. And everyone rushes to just agree with him because everybody loves Jason Schreier. So there were people there who were like, you know, I don't agree with you and actually bucking against what he was saying one of the comments was really funny was, you know, right now, especially if you want the 4k stuff, it's going to always be like $10 a month. Right now it is $10 a month as the founders pack. And you know, after a few months you get free and then the controller and all that stuff. So someone did the math and was like, over the course of seven years, you know, at $10 a month over the course of seven years, it's like, you know, I don't know, $840 that you spent on the service alone. You say, well, you could make a gaming PC for $840 that would be very close if not able to do that. And so then people are saying, you know, and then, then the person's comment basically to reply to that was, I respect your opinion, but you'll never convince me that buying a PC is better than renting one. And that was such a weird comment to me because obviously that person will never be convinced and that's fine because that's their opinion and that's fine. We, not everyone has to agree on everything. In fact, the world would be quite boring, I think, if it did. But the idea that they don't see value in owning something over renting or leasing something. And it's all perspective, you know, and, and there is a level of, well, I don't need ownership if I have convenience. There, that, that's an argument you can make. And I think that's an argument that Google's trying to make. Ownership is relative, not as important as access. You know, o owning a $1,000 PC is great. The average person doesn't want to buy a $1,000 PC every few years. Not that you have to. You can upgrade and yada, yada. I mean, I haven't, I, I think I bought my computer now five or six years ago, and I've done a few, like a video card upgrade, some RAM upgrade, and I think everything else is the same. Thing still crushes it. That was $1,500, though, about, was it five years ago, maybe? Something like that. And uh, so there is a user base out there for that that appreciates the the convenience of not having to buy 
hardware to get into it. If you have a Chromecast that you already owned and you have a TV and you have a Bluetooth controller, I think actually if it's not a, I think you have to have to plug it in. I'm not sure how, the, if it syncs Bluetooth like PS4, Xbox One controllers. If you have those things, you can play, eventually you'll be able to play for free. No, I should say no service. Uh, or, you know, right now you'll be able to play for, you know, pay for $10. So that, that's, that's very low entry cost. Um, but I still think the business model is flawed, unfortunately. And I'm a little torn on it because as much as a subscription model seems to make the most sense for this, the subscription model seems to be the way that developers make the least amount of money as it's dependent on how long the game is played, how many hours such for how much they're paid. Um, okay. So here are, here are the, uh, the verge score. It gave it a five. I don't even know what that's out of. Is that out of 10 or is that out of five? I don't know. Here's what they said. The good stuff. It really works. Apparently, it's a good thing now, working out of the box. Clearer picture than early rivals. Seamless transition between a PC and phone. For, bad stuff. 4K doesn't look like 4K. Chrome web version lacks fidelity. Gobs of features are missing at launch. Doesn't work over LTE. Um, so, this uh, the article writer goes on to say, I'm not going to restate my entire editorial about Google's incredibly awkward launch, but I think it'd be helpful to tell you what Stadia is and isn't so we can review it fairly. Today, Stadia is a $130 one-time purchase plus $10 a month after a three-month trial, plus $20 to $60 per premium game. If you don't know, Stadia's business model, as opposed to subscription, is actually asking you to purchase the game outright. So this is an issue that I've had, even with digital games, is that once digital games were the exact same price as physical games, that was always been a problem for me. When you don't, I mean, and I understand that there are server costs associated with hosting these. There's the, the, the server costs, data transfer costs. Like there are costs with digital products. I'm not going to act like we just click a button and it magically appears for us. But it's certainly cheaper than stamping a physical disc, packaging everything, and shipping out physical copies. However, that price is never any different. And there's two reasons why. One retailers and this this more pertains to xbox and playstation retailers have like walmart have an exclusive contract when they buy games that the company itself cannot sell the game for less unless it's some sort of sale or there's a certain period of time where basically walmart doesn't want to be undercut these huge retailers don't want to be undercut by the company themselves sony can't just open a store and sell all of its games through the sony store physical or digital for 44 dollars instead of 60 that's against the contracts that they sign. And mostly that's because they still need Walmart. They still need retailers at this point in time. One day that might change, but at this point in time, that's how it works. And two, they don't want to devalue the companies selling the games. They don't want to devalue their own product. Right now, we've been trained over the last, well, since the PS3 and 360 era, that new games are $60. If you start selling digital games at 50 when game costs are technically still going up, they're trying, you know, then you're trying to say, well, if we drop the price to 50, that's going to be everyone's expectation is that game should be 50. I mean, that's, that's bad for them. They don't want people to start expecting games to be 50, 40, $30 when they want to make $60 on all the new releases. And it's funny because I've always thought that that standard was weird. A new release game is 60 bucks, but that has no cost connection whatsoever to the actual cost of making the game. So you'll have a game like Witcher 3 that is $60 at launch. And then a game like, I don't know, I have to pick one off the top of my head that's not super great. 
doesn't have a ton of money into the assets, that's also $60 at launch. My point is not every game is created equal in cost, but their expected sell price is always the same. Now, we're also partly to blame for that because over the years, we've come to note that if a game comes out at $40 or $50, we feel like there's something wrong with it. Well, why, why is it $10 cheaper than this game? Is it cheaper? It must be made cheaper. Ooh, it's cheaper. Is it going to have good graphics? Oh, I don't know if I want to buy it. So it is a negative. It is a put off. Anyway, let's let's keep going. So the idea, though, that Stadia is charging full price for streamed games, which I would argue is probably still cheaper than storing them and having people download them and physically store it on their device, it's going to be very similar cost or possibly even cheaper. So interesting, right? Um, <clears throat> okay, so early access for early access to a service that lets you play a limited selection of 22 games you can mostly already buy everywhere else except here you can stream them directly from the cloud that's a bonus on your tv with the included chromecast ultra dongle at 4k resolution with high dynamic range with the included wireless stadia controller which is roughly equivalent to an xbox one or sony dualshock except it only works wirelessly with the chromecast or on Google Pixel phones at 1080p, assuming you buy a controller clip and plug it in with USB-C. Or via the Chrome web browser at 1080p resolution. So you can play these games in the Chrome browser of any computer. You can have a crappy Chromebook and play it in the Chrome browser at 1080p with any wired gamepad or mouse and keyboard of your choice. The ability to seamlessly swap between phone and PC, somewhat less seamlessly between TV, phone, and PC but you can pick up where you left on a different device. And that's some of the features that I do like about this. You could quote unquote pause the game and come back to it on a different device at a different time and it'd be almost like a save state on an emulator. You don't have to necessarily always follow the game's saving mechanics, which now that I think about it, that could actually quite hurt some design elements that people put into their games if they're trying to create difficulty by stretching out the amount of areas you have for saving and so on and so forth. But anyway, um, Except with voice, without voice chat, captures, or Google Assistant on phone. This is really weird, these bulletin points. Um, because it's saying what you get and what you don't get. So it's like the sentence you have to read is, Today's Stadia is $130 one-time purchase, plus $20 to $60 for a premium game, except without voice chat, captures, or Google Assistant on phone, and without the ability to see achievements or share captures from any platform whatsoever, including TV and Chrome. Um, there apparently will work day one, even though Stadia reviewers were not able to try these out on the platform. In sometime in 2020, Stadia will be a free service plus the cost of games for a catalog of as many as 44 confirmed titles, including Standout Cyberpunk 2077 and possibly Baldur's Gate 3. An optional $10 a month Stadia Pro subscription to play them all at 4K with HDR via your own Chromecast Ultra or Chrome web browser with an optional $70 Stadia controller that can theoretically hop between phone, PC, and TV without having to be turned off, repaired, or plugged in. It also lets you listen and chat with a Bluetooth headphones, not just wired. That's good. With achievements, the ability to instantly share gameplay captures to YouTube and cross-platform voice chat. An unspecified amount of YouTube integration will enable some of Stadia's promised features that didn't make launch. That's all supposedly happening in 2020. And now this, And then this is the someday... You'll be able to click on a YouTube ad for a game and jump straight into the game. That's that's neat. I won't lie. That's cool. Like that, That's next level space age stuff. You'll be able to live stream to YouTube in 4K at the same time you're playing in 4K. You'll be able to share a link to an exact moment in the game with friends or followers so they can try it instantly. 
say you're playing a game like a platformer and you can't make this jump. You could say, hey, audience, do you want to try to make this jump? First person to make it wins a prize. And you could actually you could make a link where everyone who clicks on it could try that part of the game. Again, that's cool. That's next level stuff. Like that's outside the box thinking. Um, apparently, Google released their own games for Stadia with some of these features. The controller's dedicated Google Assistant button will help you beat games. I don't know how much I like that. <laughs> Future games will combine the power of multiple Stadia servers to do things impossible on console or PC, like a single shared world for every single player, advanced physics, fully destructible worlds, huge number of NPCs, etc. Cross-platform multiplayer may happen. Stadia will scale to 8K resolution and 120 frames per second. So these are the sort of things that are, we don't have a time frame, but this is the ultimate goal of Stadia is to provide these things. Um, now, I don't have to go over the millions and millions of things that have already been said about Stadia. You know, the internet infrastructure here is not super great. Uh, that not everyone has good connections in their home. A lot of people like to use Wi-Fi, not steady connections. So all these things considered, I worry that Stadia is a great idea that's just too soon. And I'm curious. I've heard really good things about xCloud. So if xCloud, though, is out now or is about to be out and it's able to do what Stadia is doing but better, that's not a good look for Google. And I'm very surprised. And I don't know what's kind of happened to that company. They're a company of innovators for sure. But I'm surprised they would let something out that seems to be in such rough shape out the gate. And again, it goes down to the whole founders thing like they're, they knew the people that were buying this Founders Pack were probably going to stick around through anything. They know that they're the customers that are going to eat up anything you feed them. But you're kind of feeding them like a crap sandwich right now. <laughs> and so while they might eat it, should they have to or should they? And I shouldn't say have to. It's not like anyone's forced to buy this, but you know the customer base you're playing to. So with that all said, uh, one of the things I saw yesterday was uh, a gif of somebody with a good internet connection. They showed their internet connection. It was like almost a gig up and down. And they had almost a one-second delay in button press to the reactions happening on screen. Now, I don't know what would have caused that. And again, we don't know the, the, we don't know the standards for which that was put out. We don't know if they were over Wi-Fi doing that or if, you know, if they were having interference from other devices or something. We don't, we don't know. But it's not a good look. And in fact, most impressions that came out the first day were not positive. So you can argue things like, well, you know, everyone just was waiting to take a dump on it. I think people want cool stuff and people want good technology. But if you're going to drop it and you're going to drop it down for cash, there's going to be an expect a good amount of cash. There's going to be an expectation of high quality. So I feel like it just seems like the Stadia right now isn't quite where it needs to be. So then why did they release it? Well, again, it's a beta test, you know, and, and so you could use the argument, well, beta tests aren't perfect versions of the game, right? I was saying that earlier when you play things like an early access, but <laughs> they didn't call it beta. They didn't call it early access. They called it the founder's edition, almost as a way to say, please, please, please. So please, please, please. buy our product and help us be a founder when in actuality you're not founding anything you're beta testing and that's all they should have said they should have said hey google stadia beta test get in early get to try it first all you gotta do is buy the controller and buy all this stuff and we'll let you in 
So there's a lot going on here. This is a really long article with stuff I really don't care that much about. Um, it looks like most people see the potential. And I think it could be awesome. Is it going to be better than xCloud? Well, time will only tell on that. I think it could be. You'd think a company like Google that has access to that level of technology, it should. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Uh, so unfortunately, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how it all turns out. But I also think that it's one of those things lately, you know, I, I shouldn't say lately. It's always been like this. The internet's always been like this. But it's sometimes, quote unquote, cool to hate on things. I don't, I, I don't want to see this fail. In fact, I think it'd be really cool to see awesome technology succeed. If, it, if this was somehow the new way to play games and all you had to carry around was a controller and you could play on any TV, any smartphone, any tablet, any device like that, that'd be great. That'd be super cool. I just don't think we're there yet. And I remember, I, I quote this all the time, but I remember this very much so from the original Xbox when it included an Ethernet port and not... Uh, the standard, you know, phone jack for the internet. And at that time, I don't, I didn't even know the numbers, but a lot of people were still rocking phone line internet. And I remember one of the quotes, I think it, who would it have been? It would have been Don Matrick or would it have been Peter Moore? I don't, I don't, I think it was, it sounds like a, like a Dan, Don Matrick sort of thing, but I believe what the quote was something like, we're going to bring you into the future kicking and screaming like like we're going to bring you into the future kicking and screaming if we have to. And the idea there was, we're going to tell you what's the best way to play and even if you don't agree with us we're gonna we're gonna pull you to us and i always felt like that was a very incorrect way of looking at it you, you why your expectations shouldn't be to pull customers into the future you ha you still are 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 beholden to them what we and they learned that with the xbox one they were gonna pull us into the future with always on drm and no used games and the they fought against that. The, the the public, the general public didn't want that. So we'll have to see how Stadia goes. But just to hate on it just because, you know, you don't like it. I, I mean, it's fine if you don't like it. I just don't think we should be poo-pooing on new technology and new possibilities. Because it could be cool. Personally, I like collecting my stuff. I mean, you can kind of see behind me here a little bit. But my walls over here, I mean, I've, I've got thousands of games, you know. And so I love collecting. And so I'm never going to replace that with this. But that's even hard to say because what if one day some a, a company like this comes out and it's 30 years in the future and they buy Sega, they buy Nintendo. It's like, say, Google buys Nintendo, Sony, and all these other things, and they unite all games under, like, one downloadable subscription service, like a Netflix type, and you can play all the games I have collected here on that. I'd probably still have the collection, but I damn sure would buy that device, and I would play all my games that way. Not have to worry about getting out systems and hooking up to old TVs and stream them that way. It'd be amazing. You know, so I just don't want to throw out the idea of cool col of, of collections. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to throw out the idea. I'm sorry of, of newer technology. I just don't think we can cancel it all out until we actually see it as it's conceived. Now, arguably, maybe they shouldn't have, maybe they shouldn't have released it in such a difficult state. And I think that's a fair criticism. And you know, even fans of it right now are like, "Come on, this is not good enough to release," because they trusted a company to not put a product out that was almost unplayable at launch and and essentially that's kind of what they did although i say launch it's not really launch right it's beta testing so you know if they had been a little more clear with the messaging maybe they would have got that message a little clearer hmm, who knows um all right so yeah stadia i don't know um i'm a little 
I'm a little torn on Stadia because, I, like I was saying in the article, I, or while reading the article, I obviously I like selling used games. Um, it's my whole career, so I don't have a job if used games go away. But it also doesn't mean like that I like. like I, so check this out, right? So say say back in the day when the when the refrigerator was being made, and you're like, you know, that's gonna put the milkman out of business, you know. And and I like my milkman. He's really nice, and I like talking to him. He's a good fellow. But damn, wouldn't it be really nice to have a refrigerator that can keep things cool in your house? You know, like like what do they say? Don't cut off your nose to spite your face. You know, it's 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 you hurting yourself from possibility features because you have some sort of I don't know what I want to say, like some sort of. Um, But, you know, I don't know if that was I don't know. I don't know if that was part of um, of that, like like why people are so willing to sacrifice themselves like 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 take a hit on something so that they can be proud of not take like of something else it's like it's a perfect example like i said you know it, it'd be more convenient to have a refrigerator in your house but you didn't want the milkman to lose his job even though the milkman could go probably get a job at a refrigeration warehouse and make and build refrigerators you know but we shouldn't cling to old tech we got we always got to keep the future we always got to keep the future handy and uh and and be pushing forward to something better i think i i, I think that'd be awesome um, okay, so next up on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Bioware. So let me get this started and then uh, let me some, some, some stuff here, some stuff here. Um, all right, here we go. So next up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about Bioware and Anthem. So it was revealed uh, late last week that apparently Bioware and Activision... Um, excuse me, EA. <laughs> oh boy. You know, we're going to restart that. <laughs> excuse me. I don't want to look like a fool on YouTube, everybody. Sorry. <clears throat> so next up on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Bioware and Anthem and how Bioware and more specifically EA are going to reboot Anthem. And they're going to be calling it something along the lines of Anthem 2.0 or Anthem Next. Now, this article is by Jason Schreier, and so hes I think he's hearing rumblings, he's hearing rumors. I want to hear more about this. But some really interesting things were said, and some quite terrifying things were said. So let's go into it here. So first up, recent silence and a couple of high-profile high departures from Bioware have led fans and pundits to speculate that the studio has abandoned its most recent game, Anthem. But the opposite is true. For the last few months, Bioware and parent company EA have been planning an overhaul of the online shooter. According to three people familiar with those plans, some call it Anthem 2.0 or Anthem Next. Many of the details are still in flux, and there's no clear timeline for the Anthem Next project just yet. In fact, from what we've heard, the developers at Bioware haven't even decided how it will be distributed. They're still figuring out whether updates should be released all at once or over an extended period of time. Anthem could be overhauled through a series of updates like No Man's Sky. It could get a game-changing expansion like Destiny's Taken King. Most of Anthem's biggest systems, its mission structure, its loot, its world will change drastically. So basically the whole game. But the developers have not yet figured out exactly what that will look like. They're even considering releasing Anthem next as a brand new game. Although, although those who work on the project said that could take a lot of forms... And it's unlikely they'll charge full price to Anthem players. So really quickly, let's get that out of the way right away. 
So they're saying they're not sure how they're going to distribute it, whether it's free updates, whatever else. Um, they're saying they could charge for it. I will say, I will call this right now. If they charge for it, it'll be dead in the water. It's just going to be a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't charge for it. Even a little bit. I just don't think that's a good idea. Unless you charge for the people going forward and anyone who's bought it gets it for free, I could see that. I, I, I could see that. I would understand that. Um, so if 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 that's how you want to go, I mean, I, I'm all for a reimagining. I think it's a really smart idea to get this. I think it's a really smart idea to get this rebooted. <laughs> I don't want to see this game just go away. I thought there were some neat things there. I thought the controls were fine, um, but it felt empty. It felt like it needed work. And so now it's like, well, it needs work. And what, how are we going to fix it? So anyway, it goes on to say, uh, one thing's for sure that Bioware is not abandoning Anthem. Despite recent breathless declarations that the game is dead, right now dozens if not hundreds of developers at both of Bioware's offices in Austin, Texas, and Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, are quietly working on plans to overhaul the game. Quote, we spent a few months just tearing it down and figuring out what needed to change fundamentally which happened to be a lot, said one person on the project, and we've been rebuilding for another few months since. A representative for EA declined to comment on this story. Anthem, which launched in February of 2019, God, it feels like a long, longer than that. <laughs> it feels like it, life, it launched a lifetime ago. Um, February 2019 was a big change for Bioware. The studio made its name on heavy role-playing games like Dragon Age and Mass Effect, so fans were surprised when they saw Bioware trying to take on the likes of Destiny with an online shooter. Thanks to a messy development process, which we did a video on and they did an article on, plagued with technical issues, vision struggles, and many other stresses, the game flopped, it was buggy, tedious, and lacked the long-term appeal of its competitors. In the coming months, Bioware would delay Anthem's endgame Cataclysm event, and on September 17th, the developers said they were moving away from previously announced update plans in favor of long-term fixes. We hear your concerns on core issues in Anthem and are acting on it, wrote Bioware head of live services Chad Robertson in a blog post. Quote, those systems require a more thorough review and reworking versus quick fixes. We've got a team working on that now, and early results are promising, end quote. A month and a half later, Robertson, Robertson had quit, following in the footsteps of lead producer Ben Irving, who'd left in August. The optics of these departures, combined with EA's vague messaging about Anthem's future, have led to nonstop speculation. Things like Bioware ditches Anthem for good proclaimed the YouTube news show Inside Gaming. Around the same time, Forbes journalist Paul Tassie wrote, quote, I no longer really care about hearing about future plans for Anthem because I simply cannot imagine that they will be anything beyond the bare minimum of keeping the game alive on life support, if that, end quote. But the reality is that Bioware is still putting a lot of work into Anthem. Details on Anthem next are hazy, but among other things, the game's developers plan to overhaul the loot, the quests, the social aspects of the game, the difficulty, the progression system, the world map, <laughs> everything. <laughs> One person on the project said they're planning to change the game's entire structure. Right now, the entire world of Anthem is set on a single, contiguous map. Separating the map into segments would allow developers to tweak and play around with those segments without worrying that they might create bugs and glitches across the whole world. Quote, we're also looking at breaking up the need to go back to Fort Taurus, Tarsus after every mission said the person, and what a mission technically is. That was always a weird disconnect. We're trying to integrate parts of the game together. Okay, so I mean, these are all good things. I mean, this it's better than just abandoning the game, I think, and obviously they're putting money and resources into it. 
So that's a good thing. EA is trying to get this game back on track. And not just for the fans. They're doing it to make money. Let's get real. This type of game can make them a lot of money, a la Destiny and other games as a service. It just needs to be better. And so it's possible, but they need to, they need to work on it. Um, a second person on the project told me yesterday, this is Jason Schreier, that they were still doing, quote, lots of testing things out and experimentation, but still nothing concrete, end quote. With so much in the air, it's impossible to know what will and won't change, but it's safe to say that Anthem won't suddenly transform into a brand new franchise. We still expect to see freelance mercenaries, shaper artifacts, javelin exosuits, and all of the other core ideas that the game has established. Bioware's plan is to zoom out and overhaul the gameplay systems that most players have agreed don't work. How and when this plan will come to fruition remains to be seen. Um, so let me just go on to say that this is not usually a good sign. It's, it's a good thing that they're working on trying to fix it. But when you have to overhaul a game completely like this, it shows a, a level of failure on so many levels of development. Um, and, and we talked about the story and, and Kotaku when they did it a few months ago, and they were talking about how, you know, they were talking about um, how, you know, the, the game wasn't even fun during this Christmas demo that they had made for, you know, the head of EA and he played and was like, what is this? And then they had to really quickly rush to get it fixed so that something was playable and how they didn't even add the jetpacks till near the end, all this other stuff. And it just wasn't good, you know? And so there was a lot of failure at many different levels for the game. And so now I appreciate them trying to fix it. It's not a good sign that you have to do it, but it's good that they're looking into fixing it. And I think the most memorable thing we can compare it to would be Final Fantasy fourteen, A Realm Reborn. Now, the reason it's called Final Fantasy XIV A Realm Reborn was because there was an original Final Fantasy XIV. The first iteration of Final Fantasy XIV was completely unfun and not great. <laughs> and so I don't really know what else to say about that, except it was just not well made. And so Square went back to the drawing board. They put a ton of work into it. And arguably, Final Fantasy XIV is more popular today than World of Warcraft is. So they went from being a completely busted, unplayable mess to the top MMO being played right now. And and the content they're releasing and the, the quality they're putting out for Final Fantasy XIV is amazing. To go from a game that was unplayable and they probably, like the smart thing would have been at the time probably just to junk the whole project. But they didn't. They stuck with it and made that incredibly successful. Now you can say the same thing for Anthem. It, this could turn into one of the better games. It's just one of those things that we're going to have to see the work that goes into it. Now, Unfortunately, there's less people that worked on the original Anthem that are working on it now. A lot of the important team leads have left, and other people have left. So it leaves you curious as to who's going to save this franchise. Like, who who's around? Who's available to fix this franchise? Is it, all, is it newer people than were here before? Because Bioware's quality has been degrading over time as people leave and move on to other things. Um, and that's kind of the, the sad truth about the way EA and Activision work is they find a successful studio, they buy them, they kind of milk them for their best stuff. People leave because they don't like the pressure, they don't like the, the corporate structure. People leave, and then you're left with essentially a shell of its former self. The people that made the great Bioware games, for the most part, aren't there anymore. And so the name Bioware can't hold the same clout when the people that made Bioware what it is aren't there anymore. And so I hope it's good. We should always hope for success. I, I really believe that. And I think that's something we have to really get better at as internet commentators and as fans of things. We need to want things to succeed. 
we don't we shouldn't want things to be failures. We want them to succeed, but we want them to be good and we want them to be the way that we want to enjoy them. But we want them we should always want them to succeed. You don't want to see a bunch of people lose their job. You don't want to see uh you know a, a spectacular project fail. You don't want to see any of that stuff. You we should want to see it be awesome. And I hope they can turn it around. Um do I think they'll turn it around? Probably not. <laughs> I just don't I don't see it. I don't see that game ever coming around to being exactly what their expectations are of it. I just don't see it. I don't I don't think we're ever going to get there. But um okay. So then you know I was going to talk a little bit about this um this uh the Microsoft thing, but I I don't really want to. There wasn't really that much good stuff. So let me talk a little bit about the ending of Death Stranding and the Mandalorian. So I finished Death Stranding uh, Sunday, actually technically Monday morning, early Monday morning. I had to get up before work to finish it because the ending is about two hours, two and two to two and a half hours long uh, of cutscenes and very little gameplay, mostly just cutscenes and a little bit of walking. Um, what my hope was for Death Stranding, and if you listen to my podcast last week, my hope for Death Stranding was that the story would make me forget all of the frustrating gameplay. And I would love the story so much that this game would go into my all-time favorites. And while I enjoyed the story quite a bit, the universe, all that stuff was really neat. I love the ideas. I love the the undead slash futuristic stuff. I love that kind of the whole thing, you know, this this time travel element to it all. I loved all of that stuff. But it wasn't good enough to make up for the shoddy gameplay. And that really bums me out to say, as a Kojima fan who wanted his first game away from Konami to just be the best game of all time. <laughs> I would have loved nothing more than that to just be such a success and just rub it in the face of Konami. Um, it's not, it's not a perfect game. In fact, there's a lot of problems with it. And unfortunately, most of the problems with it are gameplay problems, which the argument that a lot of people make lately is, well, he should stop making games and just make movies. Well, I don't like that argument because I like Kojima's creativity. He tries to infuse different things into his games, unique ideas. And as someone who's been playing games for the better part of 30 years, I would like, I would also like unique experiences. But they still have to be fun. <laughs> unique doesn't always mean fun. It needs to be fun. So I said it on Twitter as a joke mostly, but I said that I gave Death Stranding a 6 out of 10 as my final review. And I said, just for the sake of brevity, I'll explain it by saying that I enjoyed playing the game 60% of the time. And 40% of the time, I was smashing my head against a wall in frustration. So 60%, 6 out of 10. And that's just how I did it. I could I could break down the story elements and say the story and the cutscenes and the voice acting are 9 and 10 out of 10. Gameplay is 4 out of 10, blah, blah. You know what? It's, just a, it's, a, it's about as average a game as you can get. 5, 6 out of 10 on an actual scale. Not the Game Informer scale where 5 means it's abysmal, which is so stupid, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, it uh, It's just... It's just a most, you know, I should say it's not average and everything's average. The game averages out to being average. Great story, great elements like that. Shoddy gameplay that's oftentimes frustrating and not fun. And then you mix all that stuff together. Really cool online aspects where you build things with other players and you make connections with other players. And then the driving physics of vehicles is bonkers and doesn't make sense. And then you end up sliding down a hill in a truck and you're just like, I, I'm just at a loss for words of how stupid this is. So that's my Death Stranding uh, wrap up, <laughs> which, you know, I'm glad I played it. But anyone who asked me if they should play it, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say exactly everything I just said here and then say, 
So I don't know if you should play it or not. <laughs> and then hopefully something there gets triggered and they can say, okay, I would like this game or I would not like it. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who's going to like that game. You know, I, 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 it's a little pretentious. So there's this sort of elite gamer aspect of people loving it. And then there's this, the Kojima fans that love it. And there's the people that hate Kojima who hate it automatically. And I'm so, this is such a weird one for me too, because I've been getting it on both sides because I'm very middle of the road on this game. I think it's like I said on the drop cast a few weeks ago, it is not a masterpiece. It is absolutely not a masterpiece. I'm sorry. It's not storytelling is very well done, but it's not a masterpiece. Even the story is not that unique. Like, the the tropes i should say like yeah the the idea of an apocalypse and then undead things and all that stuff yeah it's not you know super unique cool but not unique um but then the people that are saying it's unplayable trash well i also struggle with that because it's not unplayable trash and while there were moments where i was really frustrated with the gameplay the story was like i got to know what's going on so it's i'm i'm getting it from both sides i'm getting it with the people who are saying there's never been a better game in my life which that is mind boggling to me and then the people who say that it's utter trash. I'm like, well, at least that I can understand because if you don't care about the story, the gameplay will not carry you through that game, in my opinion. So it, it does make sense, I guess. But Death Stranding, uh, I don't know if you'll like it, but if you find it just a mildly interesting and you like watching half your game and playing half your game, you might still get enjoyment out of it. Uh, my advice, if you're ever taking a packages up into the mountains, don't even bother taking the truck. Take the motorcycle or carried on your back with power legs don't take a truck up mountains because the game was trying to tell me that it didn't want me to take trucks up mountains and i defied it i said nay i will carry i will take this truck up this mountain and i did even though it probably took 10 times as long because i kept sliding down the hill even though i could just walked up the damn thing but that's what old greggy is old greggy's super stubborn uh and that's just how it goes <laughs> so dust stranding that's it that's my final six out of ten Play it, don't play it, I don't care. It's not going to change your life. But it's not going to ruin your life either. It just exists to be played. And I beat it in 40 hours. And I and at the end, I was rushing at the end because I was done with it. I was sick of it. So I started just doing main story bites. I stopped doing package deliveries probably the last 10 hours of the game. I was like, forget this. I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do a stupid package delivery. Even if it was like two minutes out of my way, I was like, nope. Nope, I ain't going there. Screw you. I'm just going right to my main mission. <laughs> I just totally, I gave up my job and I quit my day job. Saved the world instead. <laughs> All right. So then uh, lastly, I want to talk a little bit about The Mandalorian. Again, no spoilers. The Mandalorian, if you don't know, is a exclusive Disney Plus streaming series set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Mandalorians are a race of mo mostly pe mostly human. They they come from Mandalore, and if you, you most notably, you'll know Boba and Jango Fett were Mandalorians. So they were bounty hunters by profession. There's actually a bounty hunting guild, and so the Mandalorian is a bounty hunter, and it's kind of it, the adventures of the Mandalorian is this show. And I will say it's it looks great. It looks like a Star Wars product. I like the music. Um, it was actually done by John Favreau, so he plays. He directed the original Iron Man, wrote and directed the original Iron Man movie, but then he played Happy in those movies. So if you don't know who John Favreau is, now you do. And uh, and it's really well done. You could tell he cares for like the Star Wars feel of things. Um, and so the show is very good. I do recommend it. I wouldn't get Disney Plus just for one show, but if you do have Disney Plus, definitely watch it. Just put it on there. I think there's two episodes out, and then they release a new episode every Friday now going forward. And... 
it's it's really fun. It does capture the Star Wars magic, in my opinion. Uh, there's some weird like animatronics that are a little mind-boggling for one of the characters. Like it looks like it looks like '80s puppetry, Muppetry. Uh, but it's so it's not you know so that that was mind-boggling. But again, I could see where they wanted to feel more like an '80s series because The Mandalorian takes place. Is it five? I think it's five years after Return of the Jedi. So basically, the Empire has fallen, and the galaxy would be in chaos. There's no majority rule or anything yet. And then, yeah, and that's where this takes place. It's just a story of a, of a bounty hunter. And at the end of the first episode, there's a huge reveal. Don't get it spoiled for you, but watch the first episode, and the reveal is fantastic if it didn't get spoiled for you. And it's just, it, it's it's one of my favorite things I've seen in a while, and it's it's awesome. So no spoilers. But yeah, The Mandalorian, good show. I, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Right now, we're, we're watching that. I'm watching The Watchmen on HBO, which every week just keeps getting better. Somehow, every episode's better than the one before it. I love shows that do that. Like, it just keeps building and building on, a, on this foundation. Watchmen's excellent. And then uh, we're watching uh, Castle Rock. And Castle Rock is also building to something really well. So Castle Rock, Mandalorian, and... Watchmen are kind of my main three, and then we of course have our guilty pleasure shows like The Rookie and uh, and like Good Place. Good Place is a good show though. I I love that show. Very uh, very wholesome entertainment. You know, just a nice lighthearted show. Uh, you don't need to think overly think hard about it. Just nice and fun and makes you laugh. All right, show Shunny. With that said, I'm gonna talk about my game of the week and then i have my pickup pile of the week and then we're gonna go and we're gonna be done for the week and then i'm gonna wish you all a happy thanksgiving just in case i'm not here next week even though i probably will be so game of the week clock tower for the playstation one so we're sticking with playstation one theme clock tower originated on the super nintendo technically the super famicom we never got it here and my understanding is that clock tower one on ps1 is a remake of the super nintendo one but in like 3d fashion i could be wrong but that's what I've always been kind of told. The game plays a lot like Alone in the Dark. I could say like Resident Evil, but there's not as much action as that. So I'd say more like Alone in the Dark. It's almost like a 3D puzzle game you run around. Now, Clock Tower has you being chased by a maniac with a huge pair of scissors who's coming to cut your head off. And so you play as someone who can't really fight back, but you can hide. So oftentimes uh, the villain comes into the room and you'll hide under the bed to hide from the villain. He'll leave and then you can continue on your search to get out of the house and it's kind of like an old point and click adventure game like you find an item in this room that you have to use in another room to progress where you're trying to go um so i'm going to read you the bullet points in the back here five playable characters and 10 different endings for super extended replay value amazingly detailed horrific graphics with atmospheric lighting shadows and special effects outstanding sound accomplishment will leave you constantly frightened i'm sorry outstanding sound accompaniment will leave you constantly frightened. I can read, I swear. Randomized behavioral patterns ensure you'll never play the same game twice. It's also compatible with the mouse, hence the point-and-click adventure aspect of it. So Clock Tower, it's a horror game. It's not really an action game. It's more of a puzzle platform. Well, I don't want to say platform. More of a puzzle point-and-click. But on console, and it's pretty good. So it's a little scary, too. Like The music's done really well, like whenever Scissorman shows up or whatever his name ends up being. But yes... Clock Tower for the PlayStation 1. Definitely check it out. All right. So my pickup pile of the week. Actually, I forgot about one thing that makes this pickup pile huge, literally. Uh, so I'll get to that in a second. But first, uh, I picked up three Amiibo. They came out on 
last Friday, I got my Simon Belmont Amiibo. I got my Incineroar Amiibo. And I got Krom from Fire Emblem Amiibo. So those are the three newest ones that came out. When I was at Best Buy picking those up, they had a new copy of Katamari Damacy for the Switch. This is a remake of the first one on PS2. For 20 bucks. This was a GameStop exclusive for a little while, and people were going bonkers last Christmas trying to find... I think it was last Christmas trying to find this. For a while, I was going like 40 50 60 bucks. <clears throat> I was going to buy it for Jenny for Christmas, and I was like, I couldn't find a copy. It sucked. So I found it for 20 bucks now. So, ha And then lastly, okay, here's the big dog. I got to turn to pick this up. It's how heavy it is. Ugh, I picked up... And you're going to laugh at me because we just talked about it. I picked up the PS4 Pro Limited Edition Death Stranding console. So you're like, but Greg, you just said Death Stranding was a 6 out of 10. Why would you buy the console, you big dum-dum? And then I say, well, I bought the console before I knew the game was a 6 out of 10. <laughs> so that's why. Uh, does that make me any less of a dum-dum? Probably not. Because I could sell this at the store, but I decided to buy it still because I think the console's excellent. It's a white PS4 Pro with the black hand prints on it, and it comes with a yellow controller, which is meant to replicate what the baby or BB looks like in Death Stranding. Um, kind of looks like a piss yellow controller, to be honest. <laughs> looks like piss, but that's fine. So that that is my pickup pile of the week. And as always, I so appreciate everyone listening and watching. Follow me on Twitter, at GameTradeGreg. That's with two Gs at the end. We just broke, I, I didn't get to mention this uh, last week, I think because it happened a day or two after, but we just broke 6,000 subs on YouTube, so thank you everybody who's subbed on there. It makes me so happy, and I know it's a slow grind, and I know you hear that and you go, 6,000 subs on YouTube, that's nothing compared to PewDiePie's billions, and you're like, well, yes, you'd be correct, but I'm very proud of me and the guys being at 6,000, and once we, like, we're on track, you know, when we hit 10,000, it could be a year, year or so, who knows, maybe another video takes off and we're there, but... We're getting there. And once you get to 10,000, a lot of options really open up for you. You start to really get a lot more play. And so I'm very excited about that. Um, I did mention to you last week about the Metal Gear podcast. I'm still in the planning phases of that. So it's not that it's not coming. I have to talk to Josh from Suggestive Gaming. Got to get that figured out. The hardest part is trying to find a schedule because he works and I work very different schedules. So we have to find a time to make it work. But we're going to make it work, and it's going to be awesome. So... Um, Follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. Subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash drop rate. Follow us on Twitch. And if you got that free Amazon Prime, if you have Amazon Prime, you have a free Prime uh, Twitch subscription that you can do. If you're not using it, give it to us. We'll take the free sub. We appreciate it. Um, and that's twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Always look for the yellow and gray drop rate or DR logo, and you'll always find us. So um, thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening and watching. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good day. Bye-bye.